This audio presentation was pre-recorded and edited for brevity and clarity. Hello, I'm Michael Buckley with the Bright Focus Foundation. Welcome to today's Bright Focus Chat, Expanding Your Low Vision Care Team. Our speaker today is Dr. Ranju Prasad, and she's going to highlight some different types of low vision practitioners and services that you may have access to. If this is your first time joining us for Bright Focus Chat, welcome. Let me take a moment to tell you about Bright Focus and what we will do today. Bright Focus funds some of the top scientists in the world. We support research around the globe that is trying to find cures for macular degeneration, glaucoma, and Alzheimer's. We share the latest news from these scientists with families impacted by these diseases. We have a number of free publications and plenty of materials on our website, brightfocus.org. That's brightfocus.org. Bright Focus chats are another way of sharing this information. So today, if you want to ask Dr. Prasad a question during the call, simply press star 3, and an operator will take down your question. And again, that's press star 3, an operator will take down your question and put you right back into the chat. And just in case you get disconnected during the call, let me give you the phone number to dial back in. That number is 877-229-8493. And then you'd enter a passcode, 112435. Just to repeat, that code is 112435. And also, if you'd prefer to listen to this chat online, you can live stream the call today at brightfocus.org forward slash live chat. That's brightfocus.org forward slash live chat. And if you happen to be listening online right now, you can submit your your questions by emailing us at chatquestion at brightfocus.org. Again, that's chatquestion at brightfocus.org. Now let's turn to today's special guest, Dr. Prasad. Dr. Prasad, thank you for joining us today. Oh, we asked you to. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Thank you for having me. Oh, great. We'd like we invited you to be a speaker on the call today because while we regularly talk about the diagnosis and treatment of age-related macular degeneration and what we can expect from a retina specialist, we don't always talk about what types of care or low vision services someone can access outside of the clinic. So I'd like to explore that today, but first, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your professional background and experience. Okay. Well, this year I was appointed uh, as the director of the Penn Center for Low Vision Research and Rehabilitation at the Shea Eye Institute Department of Ophthalmology of the University of Pennsylvania Health System in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I've been practicing for 18 years and have been in this department for over 15 years. I have extensive experience in the low vision management of both the most common and rarest of ocular conditions, which causes uh, vision loss of both adults and children. And I also have a keen interest in international low vision and have spent time in my early career consulting overseas. That's that's great. What, out of curiosity, what made you want to go into this line of work? Well, when I was a student, um, I was a intern. I was an intern um, at a doctor's office who provided, who did low vision rehabilitation. And when I observed her and watched what she did um, and how she was able to help people, I fell in love with it. And I knew she was the one that I wanted to be like. I wanted to be just like her and do what she did. Wow. Yeah. That's was, great. What a great, what a great experience. And it, yeah. It's a very rewarding career. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, for, uh, for, for doing that. Now we know that low vision or vision problems that are not corrected by glasses or surgery or, or another medical intervention. They affect people in different ways. Um, 
I was wondering, what would, what would the first step be for someone who's hoping to make the most out of their remaining vision? And is there some type of initial evaluation, or how you know how should how should someone start when they have some concerns about their vision? Well, the first step would be to immediately inform their functional difficulties to their present eye doctor or eye specialist. Uh, almost every eye doctor would be well versed in knowing of local resources and. The first step for them sometimes could be a state agency for the blind, and it all depends on where they're located. If there's an optometrist who specializes and practices in low vision rehabilitation, here the individual may be uh, referred to him or her. The initial evaluation with a low vision optometrist would focus on your functional difficulties specific to the activities of daily living, and this may include reading, writing, seeing at distance, uh, you know, difficulties with uh, getting around and navigating, along with many others. And these are tasks that we do on a daily basis. Okay. Um, we also take into account, uh, because I do, um, am a low vision rehabilitation optometrist, the cause of the vision loss and also look at the psychosocial aspects. Um, many people, because the vision loss is re can be relatively new, they do um, experience a lot of uh, difficulties. And, for example, they're grieving. So uh, we look at, we take that into account as well. Um, and our goal is to help the individual become more independent and improve their quality of life. That's great. Mm -hmm. And um, if somebody wanted to, to have um, the type of uh, services that you and others provide, is, is that something that's covered by Medicare, or does someone need a prescription or a referral from their from their uh, the first eye, um, eye care professional that they see? Um, it's typically covered by uh, Medicare or their health insurance. However, the important thing is to make sure that who they're going to see is part of their panel. And there's certain components of uh, that exam which may not be covered by the health insurance. So, for example, the refraction um, is typically not covered. And that refraction includes, is, uh, includes the finding of the prescription or determining your eyeglass prescription. And then are some of these other services, um, you said, uh, when you say part of their panel, what, is, um, what does that mean? Oh, the panel. That means that they um, actually take that health, that insurance. Yeah. yeah. So not everybody is a Medicare provider. Not everybody is a Blue Cross Blue Shield provider. Yeah, no, certainly. I know that the, the field of, of Medicare and private insurance can, um, can, you know, can be a little overwhelming for people. And I think part of that is uh, – uh, I think it was the Marx Brothers had that the phrase alphabet soup or whatever. Mm -hmm. The um, it seems like there's in 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 the vision uh, field there are so many of these alphabet soup specialties. I've heard of CLVT, CRVT, OT among others. Zorni, can you help us tell us a little bit about um, these these different uh, specialties and how each one helps um, contribute to the outcomes? I was wondering if you could first start with CLVT and LVT. Just tell us a little bit, of, a little bit about what they are and how they're different and how they help people. Oh, sure, sure. So the C in front of any of um, those specialties stands for certified, and the certified um, is through the ACVERP, which is the Academy for Certification of Vision Rehabilitation and Educational Professionals. So a CLVT is a certified low vision therapist, and an LVT is a low vision therapist that's not certified. And what a low vision therapist does is they evaluate uh, an individual's functional vision by using different testing mechanisms uh, and 
its relation to vision and disability. And then they look at their work, education, activities of daily living, et cetera, and train the individual with devices that may have been prescribed by the optometrist, um, enhance their visual field, and they use adaptive techniques to meet their goals. That's there's other specialties as well. The CRVT is a certified v vision rehabilitation therapist, and they're the ones that um, evaluate and, and train um, the visually impaired individuals in their home environment or work environment, so they actually go to the place. And they use compensatory skills and techniques and assistive technology and environmental adapt adaptations. And so, for example, they would teach adaptive grooming and bathing skills. They would teach adaptive kitchen skills, um, labeling, organizing. And they're the ones that work with individuals who have very low vision or are blind, too. Wow, well, thank you. Yeah. yeah. And I just want to remind uh, our folks that if they have questions at any time, they can press star 3 on their um, on their telephone, and that will and that will take you to an operator who will be glad to take down your Take down your question. I was wondering, um, Dr. Persaik, tell us a little bit about um, OTs, occupational therapists. Oh, um, okay. So OTs um, are uh, licensed providers, and they follow the medical model of rehabilitation, and they perform full uh, functional evaluation. So um, if an individual is referred for uh, vision, um, the OTs will not only assess the vision component, but they assess cognition, range of motion, uh, upper body strength, and, um, and sensations such as light touch. And an example of a, a reason for light touch would be for someone who is diabetic and who has developed neuropathy of their fingers. They want to be able to know that they can touch and feel things. Um, they even evaluate balance uh, as well. Um, they do require a prescription from a doctor, and they come up with a treatment plan, which is signed off by the doctor. And the treatment plan has to be objective, functional, and measurable, too. Yeah. Well, that's, um, and you know, kind of related to that, you know, sometimes we hear people talk about low vision therapy and low vision rehabilitation. I was mm -hmm. wondering, could you explain the uh, – is there a difference? And if so, uh, what would be the difference between low vision therapy and low vision rehabilitation? Well, um Vision excuse me, low vision rehabilitation is the umbrella. I think it includes all the um, team players. So all of the team players that we mentioned above, the optometrist, the ophthalmologist. And therapy is actually the training. So um, let me give you an example. So someone who has macular degeneration, they usually have some remaining uh, vision. Um, they've got some good remaining central vision in certain areas. So a, a person who's undergoing low vision therapy would be would likely be taught how to use that remaining vision, and that would fall under eccentric fixation training. Great. Um, I guess related to that, we hear a lot. Um, we could talk a little bit about sort of isolation. It would seem like a lot of these uh, vision challenges that that older people face. Um, you know, really affect their independence. And, mm -hmm. and um, I was wondering, is there a type of specialist that would help us uh, navigate our way through daily lives, both both inside and outside the home? Yes, and that specialist would be a COMS, which is a Certified um, Orientation and Mobility Specialist. Okay. And a COMS evaluates and trains the individual to determine their position and uh, navigate safely in their environment. And they do this by utilizing their other senses, such as hearing. And for some individuals, that may require training or using a cane, training and using a cane. Um, they also focus on fall uh, prevention and safety. 
So um, to summarize, like an orient orientation refers to knowing your position in a setting. And so, for example, when you walk into a large room with seating, you typically scan and look around to see where the seats are available. That's considered, uh, as I said, that's an orientation. And then when you find the seat, you walk over from where you're standing to the seat, and that's mobility. That, that's interesting. I think it, 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 you know, I think what you speak about is just just the range of of um, new experiences that that uh, that people and their extended families um, must have to navigate. And I think that uh, one of the ones we hear most a lot about at Bright Focus is driving, and that's such a, a, a core part of of of, um, of independence and lifestyle and. Um, I'd like to ask you about that and just you know kind of mention to our listeners that um Bright Focus has a number of materials that are available free of charge. One of them is a uh a publication, it's a, a free brochure called Safety and the Older Driver and um that's available free of charge uh at at the Bright Focus website or you can leave a, a message at the end of this call. And so Dr. Prasad, I just wonder you know kind of both um big picture, what do you think about some of the you know the the challenges of that that vision faces with driving, and sort of how do you address this in um, in the patients that you see? Uh, yeah, actually, I address this quite often, very quite often, and I think it's one of the most difficult things to address as well, because for almost everybody, driving equates to independence, and if you take away the ability to drive, their ability to drive, then they lose their independence. Um, however. What I try to reiterate is, first and foremost, that I'm not taking their license away. You know? <laughs> it's not me. And I have to follow what the state regulations are. So every state has different requirements for driving. So wherever that individual is living in uh, should familiarize themselves or ask the doctor what the legal requirements for driving is. Um, if are there they specialists don't... who can help on this, or...? I'm sorry, specialists? Are there, are there specialists in the uh, occupational therapists or others that could could help on this? Or? Well, their way of helping is, so for example, um, there's individuals who are within legal limits to drive, okay, or and they find that they're not as confident on, on the road, or they may have had an additional, um, an additional condition, such as a stroke, or they may have fallen. So, yes, there are driver's rehabilitation programs that are available. Um, they're mostly available in a larger rehab setting and are handled by an occupational therapist. Now, I, I can imagine um, uh, this has got to be an incredibly uh, sensitive, often mm -hmm. challenging conversation for families to have. Do you have advice for uh, for families that are uh, facing this or think that it's going to be happening to them soon? Yeah, I think to... Um, if there is any question, to bring them to their eye doctor, um, voice the concern, um, voice the concern, and also to reiterate that it's about protecting themselves. Not only is it about protecting other people, but it's also about protecting themselves. Um, I've had pe I've had to address it a number of times, and I've had to tell the individual that, you know, if something were to happen. Um, and even though it wasn't your fault, they may still question. They may still come after you. And if you come out to be liable, then you have a lot of things at risk to lose. A lot. Yeah. So it's about protecting yourself too, first and foremost. 
No, yeah, no, I certainly understand that. And what yeah. do you, you know, I'm, I'm sure a popular human uh, trait is denial. Um, yes. What do you, we, we got it down to an art form, but what do you say to people who think everything's great and they just can't even imagine, like, where you're coming from on this, on the well, driving? Yeah, well, um, I actually go to the DMV site and I print out their statutes. And I give them written documentation. I show them their visual fields. You know, if it's a, um, a peripheral visual issue, which you can you'll find with glaucoma, retinitis pigmentosa, and even point out on the chart where they should be seeing and what they are seeing. Um, in the state of Pennsylvania, we're required to uh, inform the state if about a, a driver's. Um, condition if they do not meet the re- legal requirements. So, but that but not every state has that. Yeah. And in, where and where you practice in the uh, in Pennsylvania and the the Philadelphia area, uh are there type of services um that you recommend to people um you know when they are no longer able to to stop driving it would seem like it would have a great effect in them but not only socially but just food and you know access to medical care. I mean, are there but, you know, just in, you know, just from the area you're familiar with, are there resources that that can help families? Oh, there's a number of resources. A number. Uh, first, the first uh, resource is a state agency, which is the uh, Bureau of Blindness and Visual Services. Um, every state has an agency that provides resources and um, and sometimes money for. Uh, devices for individuals. So that's the first place I go. And then in, within Philadelphia, there's also the Associated Services for the Blind. Oh, I think, yeah. No, this is good to know. And I yeah. think related to that, I mean, how this uh, kind of relates to a question that we just received from um, Aguedo from, from Maryland, who asks, how do you expand your care team? And I'd like to kind of add to, to that question. I mean, how does somebody keep track of all this? I mean, it, it, you know, do you have you know, their sort of information sheets that that might they might have at a doctor's office, or you know, in terms of all these different, almost like say like a general contractor, you know, sort of a gatekeeper <laughs> for these type of services. And how do you, as a physician, make sure that they're that they're integrated? Um, well, we have the research, uh, the information at our fingertips. So one of the greatest inventions is the internet, and I almost uh, we almost never keep copies. So well, I'll always have it at my fingertips to look at their site, print out that information. Um, we're also in the process for us um, to, ca- to have all these resources available at our website. So that's still in the process. We're working on that. But it's just a matter of, you know, when, when, the doc- when you see the doctor um, or when the patient sees me, I, uh, you know, just based on talking with them and knowing what their difficulties are, I'll know where to go. And for me, I mean, it's through our continuing education. I'm learning more. Um, I have a lot of colleagues. I work very closely with occupational therapists, my training. Um, I also um, have, you know, uh, have contacts, like, in different states. So they're all there. And then plus, yeah. Oh, no, one last thing. And and plus, um, I work in a tertiary care setting, so I have all the medical knowledge at my fingertips, too, if I ever have any questions. So... That's great, and on the that's that's wonderful. On on the patient yeah. side of it, yeah. what can what can a, a patient and her or his family do to help this? I mean, if um, if someone brings a, a, a friend or, or mm-hmm. family member, uh, what 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 can that accompanying person do to to help make sure that they that they're getting the services that they need and understanding these the differentiations that you talked about? 
Uh, well, that just being informed and educated, I think, yeah. just by asking questions, um, making sure and following up. So, you know, I've had a lot of individuals who have been proactive who found out a lot of things before they even came into the office. So um, they're able to to say, well, this is what they need, and then just to follow, I guess, just to follow up yeah. with them and just to know exactly what the patient knows. I think what I've also found was, you know, depending on what state of where they're at emotionally, you know, we've got people who come in and are very angry. They're going to be in denial. They they're not going to be as receptive, but those who are more accepting and want to improve their quality of life are the ones who are will be easier to 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 take care of no, and to help. I, I should say. Yeah, no, it's certainly good good yeah. advice for for yeah. people in a lot of situations. And you know, yeah. you mentioned uh, when a, a you know a family member or a friend comes in that that's done some of their research. Um, yeah. I think it's interesting the the intersection between the internet and. Um, yeah in the practice of medicine. And so when somebody takes some effort to, to do mm -hmm. some research, you know, and they, and they, they read things about low vision microscopes or mm -hmm. other devices, um, you know, uh, is that, um, how do you, how do you, um, uh, you know, what do you usually say when people mention some, some type of products like microscopes or devices that they've been hearing about? Oh, um, that happens to me all the time. Um, I, you know, obviously I ask more about what they, um, what they're, what they're asking about yeah. and, um, you know, kind of really see if it would relate to the patient and show them. I said, oh, this is what you're looking at. I think this is the device that we have. This is what it is. This may work for him. This may not. So we've had people who have actually have very good vision. I mean, what we would consider pretty good vision and what the family member found was something that was you know, electronic and they and um, too strong. I would say it's not yeah. something that they would need at that time, but it's great for that that they are educated because they know that these are available. Um, yeah, that these are available for them. That's, that's no, that's 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 um that that's good to know. And I guess sort of in you know in general, whether it's people's research or their emotional reactions, is there sort of a common a common message that you like to give to your patients or a common misperception that, that, that you feel you need to correct on a regular basis with your patients? Yeah, I have um, when individuals and patients come and tell me that nothing can be done, mm -hmm. that I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And what I try to tell people is you can't do it anymore in the same way that you probably used to. Yeah. And um, I try to reassure them and try to be as, as encouraging as possible and then give examples of others who've been, you know, successful. And um, no, it's, no, just, just to remind folks, if you have questions for Dr. Prasad, you can uh, press star three at any time. And um, we have a question. Um, Lorraine from New Hampshire is wondering about assistive technology, something C-A-T-I-S. Um, could you tell folks um, what that is? Oh, the uh C A T I S. Okay. That is. That is in all caps. In all capital letters. <laughs> yeah. So it's a certified um, assistive technology instructional therapist specialist. Excuse me. So these individuals were certified by the A C V E R P, as I had mentioned earlier, and um, they are uh, highly trained experts who specialize in working with the visually impaired in the areas of assistive technology. So it'll include um, hardware, software, mobile devices, tablets, or any other form of technology in almost any setting. So these are very highly skilled people. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. 
and um uh sort of kind of around the around the home um i know that that when uh vision is often as uh, a major is a major cause of falls around the house and then falling around the house is an often a major reason why you can't live at home anymore so i you know it could seem like a, a downward spiral what do you do you have advice for people um around the home that they can do to keep them their their house a, a safer place so people can stay in homes longer yeah, well, the first and foremost thing is to keep it as clutter-free as possible, um, to keep, you know, things off the table, uh, anything glass, and keep the walkways pretty open, and keep it very well lit, too. And a lot of the times what I've done was, um, be, you know, after suggesting or referring them to the state to have a rehab, um, a CRVT, possibly come to the home and uh, help them with that as well. Well, that's that's good. Yeah, because it would seem like that's a a, a real a real challenge. Um, yeah. yeah. Particularly, you know, what what about for example in the in the kitchen? Um, I know people, you know, they want to be able to, to still still cook and 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 be active there. Um, what can what can folks do in in that area? Um, well, in the kitchen, the kitchen is a very it, that could be a very touchy area and a very dangerous yeah. area too, especially yeah. with um, using knives. So I try to tell people who've lost their, you know, who have some extensive vision loss to wait until they're properly trained with that. Um, You know, in the kitchen, um, it's more dangerous to have a um, a, a gas stove, an electric stove is better. Some, um, you know, what we tell people is try not to get up very close to the dials to look at where the stove settings are. So um, we recommend marking the stove dials. With you know, with like a raised paint, so they'll know um, you know different temperatures. No, that's good. Yeah, and um, the question Ed from Pennsylvania is wondering if somebody has blind spots in their vision, are there strategies that can uh, uh, can by by specialists that can help um, navigate blind spots in their vision? Oh, um, yeah, that's where the um, a uh, low vision therapist, a a CLVT, can help with uh, eccentric eccentric fixation. So within those blind spots, there's probably one blind spot, or within those blind spots, there's probably one area where you're probably seeing a little bit better. So there are training techniques where they can help you utilize that and kind of like focus on that area. That's good. Um, Alice from Maryland has a question about support groups. I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, do they exist for uh, low vision issues, and what can you know what what can they help with, and how do you how does one find uh, low vision support groups? There, yes, there are a number of support groups. It all um, varies based on where you live. The main um, way to look is to go to the state agency, and they will have um, you know their their counselors would be able to know. Um, typically, a low vision uh, doctor would know uh, what's available, and also there are um, disease-specific or condition-specific support groups too. So even on websites, uh, like you know, they'll have different the um, different organizations for the different condi- uh, conditions would have um, you know may have knowledge of support groups in different areas. Well, that's great. Um, well, we're getting. Uh... Uh, closer to the end of our time, but uh, before we go to some final um, thoughts from you, Dr. Prasad, we like to ask our, our listeners a question to help us, a one-question poll. They can participate on their phone to uh, to help help us guide future chats. So it's a simple question. If you found today's chat helpful, very helpful, please press 1. 
If you found today's chat somewhat helpful, please press 2. And if you did not find this chat helpful at all, please press 3. So that's 1, for finding it helpful, 2, somewhat helpful, and 3, uh, did not find it helpful at all. So Dr. Prasad, in our final uh, couple minutes, do you have any, any final uh, thoughts or any specific um, suggestions for uh People living with low vision, whether that's you know, um, you know, the points that that maybe we didn't get a chance to to address today. Um, well, the one thing I, as I tell everybody who who I like to see is, or whoever everybody who I see is, don't give up, and use your vision. Always use your vision. Always, um, you know, I've had people who just because they can't read the way they used to, they don't read at all. I said, I always tell them, if you have vision, read the headlines, watch TV. Always use it. Yeah. Yeah, because some you know, you, know, you know, Bright Focus, where we fund a lot of research on, yeah. you know, on treatments and cures, we hear a lot of, from our researchers about those effects of, of isolation yeah. or less activity. And do you see this a lot in your patients? I do. I do. I do. And fortunately, I get the patients very early on in their disease process. So I can work with them at, at a very early state stage. So, and I get them motivated. And so, for example, I'll see people whose vision um, is not that bad, but I'll just say, you know, this, you don't need these yet, but we, we're here. We have all these options available, so don't don't give up. Yeah, and how do people react when you sort of, if you're able to tell them that they're at the, the earlier stage of something? I mean, that, that I could see some people maybe um, – bristling at that or what what's your experience when you kind of give well, the, the the warning shot i guess you could call it <laughs> um no they're they're actually pretty receptive cuz a lot of the times they you know they leave they say well i hope it never gets that way and i say i hope so too yeah. but i do, i do, i want i don't want you to lose hope you know yeah. we hope that we'll never get to this but we this is everything's available right here at my fingertips and the other thing is i don't typically follow them back i'll wait till their doctor send me back send them back to me yeah so they're very, uh, or or they feel that they have, you know, not for everybody, but for some, if they feel that there's a time where they're having difficulty functioning, they'll come back. So they like that in there, that saying that I, that I'm not a necessity at all times. Yeah, no, it's it's fascinating the yeah. the role of 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 motivation and how yeah. do you, how do you connect with people. Well, um, I think you've done a fantastic job today do, doing that, and hopefully our listeners have found a, you know a few, a few specific uh, takeaways. And certainly appreciate you walking us through the the alphabet soup of um, of of the of the field of the sure. professional field that you're in. And um, uh, for our listeners, uh, uh, when we can. Um, few housekeeping things. First, our next chat will be August 31st. The topic is going to be what's new in macular degeneration research. That's August 31st, uh, what's new in macular degeneration research. And we encourage folks to stay on the line right now to register. And um, uh, we'll be sending you a reminder email on that. And uh, lastly, when the call concludes, you can leave a message to register for that August chat. You can request copies of the transcript of this call for you to share with someone you might think be interested. You can receive free publications from, um, from Bright Focus, such as the Safety and the Older Driver that we mentioned earlier. We also have Ampsler Grids um, and other uh, resources. We have materials on, um, on uh, treatments, and um, we have a popular card fits in a purse or a pocket called Five Questions to Ask Your Eye Doctor. So we have a lot of materials to help you. Those are at brightfocus.org, O-R-G, or anytime you can call us at 
800-437-2423. Again, that's 800-437-2423. And uh, Dr. Prasad, I just want to thank you so much. Thank you. You've been been very helpful and, and very positive. And, and uh, just th- thank you for from all of us at Bright Focus. Oh, you're welcome. It's my pleasure. Thank you for all having right. me. All right. Thank you, Dr. Prasad. Thank you for our listeners. We will uh, talk with you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. The information provided in this recording is a public service of Bright Focus Foundation and is not intended to constitute medical advice. Please consult your physician for personalized medical, dietary, and or exercise advice. Any medications or supplements should only be taken under medical supervision. Bright Focus Foundation does not endorse any medical products or therapies.